Hey, I'm Adam. And I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 120, Arrival Movie Review. This is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. I'm Chris McBrien, and along with Derek Myers, caveman himself, you're going to find us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek and at C McBrien, that's me, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website. Derek, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing very well, Chris. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I've got a story I was going to tell you about, uh, as you know, I've mentioned on the, the podcast before, I am a college professor. So I love my job. I've got a great job. But one of the things that I kind of deal with sometimes is sometimes um, students will um, try to bend the rules a little bit when it comes to submitting assignments. So one of the things that I found is that there is this online paraphrasing tool. Okay. So students can actually copy someone else's essay and they put it into this tool and it spits it back out. And what it does is it'll change one word like from every sentence using like an online thesaurus so it just changes one word using like a like a word that's similar to it you know what i mean yeah and so that spits out like a whole new essay right so the reason i bring it up is because i went to read an essay today and i just had to share it with you because i went to i asked the students to write an essay on um an impactful leader and so i I go to read the first essay and it says the leader that I'm going to be doing it on is Steve Occupations from Apple. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the the famous late Apple leader, Steve Occupations. So I'm like, "Hmm, I wonder if an online paraphrasing tool was used here. Jeez, I tell you, right from the get-go. So I just saw that. I thought, God, that's funny. So it was on my mind. So that's what I've been doing all week. I mean, just I haven't had a chance really to do a lot of pop culture stuff because I've been busy marking papers on people like Steve Occupations. (laughs) <laughs> how about you there you go yeah. um it, i've been really busy at work this uh this past week so i haven't really had a chance to do uh to to like in, indulge in any new pop culture stuff um you know continuing to watch the watchman continuing to watch his dark materials but those are really the only things i'm watching right now uh they're both coming towards their end so looking forward to those but we did uh purchase advance tickets to see the new movie jumanji the next level which uh starts in a few days we're gonna see that one this weekend nice. and then uh, we got our tickets for star wars for the following weekend so Very good i have those uh, tickets already i'm going to see it next thursday with my son we have the tickets all ready to go do you have like the assigned seats tickets or is it just uh, general well, admission <clears throat> we, we so I'm a big believer in the assigned seats. Me too. I, I I have been to enough movies in my life where I'm at a point where I don't want to have to go a half an hour early just to get a good seat. So if the um, if the price of the ticket is a little bit more to guarantee my assigned seat, I, I'm fine to pay a few extra bucks. Mm-hmm, uh, the problem is I don't do 3D very well. I have prescription glasses, which I've had all my life, and 3D has just never clicked with my brain ever. So when I go to see a 3D movie, I put the glasses on and like nothing's 3D. So 
I don't want to waste my money paying for a 3D movie that's not going to give me 3D. Mm -hmm. And most of the theaters around my house that are assigned seats are the IMAX ones. And a lot of the movies that go out in IMAX are in 3D. So that's sort of my my balancing, my tipping point is, do I pay the extra money to get the assigned seat I want, but pay even extra on top of that to watch a 3D movie that I'm not going to actually get any 3D out of? Or do I pay for the general not 3D movie? And, and do that. So anyway, with these two, we decided to go to a theater that's a little farther away, but we got both of them in not 3D, but with assigned seats. Oh, that's good. So yeah, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to loop back. We'll probably have to do a, a show on the Star Wars movie. What do you think of that? Let's watch it and see how much we enjoy it or don't enjoy it. And then maybe make that decision because I, earlier this week, we tried to watch The Last Jedi, which I only ever saw the one time in mm-hmm. the theater when it was released. Yep. I didn't really remember it very well. I sort of remember the broad stroke. So I thought, well, I better watch it again. I got about a half an hour into it and I turned to my wife and I said, this is boring. I don't want to finish watching this right now. And so what I ended up doing was uh, I, I, I threw on Netflix to see what was out there. And I watched a documentary called Jack of All Trades. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, baseball cards. It's about trading baseball cards and the oh, phenomenon cool. in the 80s and I would 90s. like that. Yeah, like the idea was the guy finds like boxes and boxes and boxes of old baseball cards that his dad had left in the garage. And uh, he thought, oh, these are worth all this money. And then when he went to sell them, he realized they were literally not even worth the paper they were printed on. Mm-hmm. And so he, to him, this was a mystery. He's like, how could they have been so valuable then and worth so little now? So the documentary explores this whole phenomenon of of the baseball cards and some shenanigans that were going on, some really shady things that some of the companies were doing and the whole idea of supply and demand and taking advantage of your fan base. And it, it was very, very interesting. It ended up becoming a little bit more of an emotional roller coaster. The character had some uh, uh, issues with his family that got uh, addressed through the course of the documentary, which were interesting, but it sort of moved away from the baseball cards by the end and became more a story about a father and a son. But uh, it was pretty decent. Jack of all trades. It was on Netflix. Uh, you know, if you're into sports, you're into baseball cards. If that sounds like something you might like. Uh, give it, a, give it a shot. Very cool. And then you mentioned Netflix. I should mention there was one thing that I was able to do in the last week. And so I was flipping around Netflix the one night. And you, met, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there is a, it's maybe like a ten episode series called The Toys That Made Us. I've seen all of them. Yeah, it's re- it's really good. Well, anyway, the reason I'm not it's not so much about that, but then there's a new one that's called The Movies That Made Us. And it's got a couple of movies from the 80s, and it's each episode is like a documentary on that movie. Now, a bunch of them were stuff I didn't care about, like dirty dancing and stuff. I could care less about that. But one of them was Ghostbusters. So I watched it and it was a whole documentary on the movie Ghostbusters. I'm talking like the one from the 80s, not that stupid remake that they made. And it was actually pretty good. So that's worth something that's maybe worth checking out. I'm going to keep watching for new episodes and maybe they'll come up with a few more movies that I liked from the 80s than the ones that they have on there now. But I, I like the idea. Yeah, I watched the, I did what you did. I saw them drop. I watched the Ghostbusters one first. Then I went back and watched Dirty Dancing and Home Alone. Uh, both of movie, both of which are movies I don't really know a lot about. So the the documentaries were pretty informative, even though I didn't really care for the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Die Hard one, oh, is Die Hard, I haven't watched. Yeah. So I'm saving it for Christmas. So we'll oh, watch of course, Die Hard, our Christmas choice, and then we'll watch the documentary about Die Hard after we watch it. And it's fresh in our mind. So since we're getting close to Christmas, then I do have to pose the question: Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes, it absolutely is because it takes place at Christmas time, right? 
largely, and there's yeah. Christmas carols in the movie. Yeah. And it's Christmas theme. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I mean, the- hey, if you don't think it is, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to argue it with you, yeah. but uh, uh, that's my opinion. And- yeah. No, I think it's fine. I, I watched it last year. I think it was like Christmas Eve. I was sitting there having some uh, rum and eggnog, and I was watching Die Hard. I thought it was great. And and like Home Alone is like, it takes place at Christmas time too. I mean, really, if you think of it, like even um, It's a Wonderful Life, which I watch every year on Christmas Eve, it's not really a Christmas movie, you know, like, no, but, but it not is so a Christmas much. movie. So, so I think it's okay to say that these movies are Christmas movies. I'm cool but with you it. Could, you could argue that movies like Gremlins and Lethal Weapon are, are Christmas movies because they both take place at Christmas as well. Gremlins more so because it's True. very steeped in Christmas, like Lethal Weapon less so. But, yeah. but yeah, we, we, uh, did we talk about this last year? I think we might've even done a show about the Christmas movies. I can remember putting together a list and really struggling. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll go back and check the archives and then, you know, we'll go from there. But in the meantime, let's get started. I mean, we love him. We hate him. We agree. We disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question. Okay, so this week it was over to you, Derek. Uh, You nominated uh, the 2016 film Arrival. And because this movie took place after 1989, of course, I've never seen it um, because that's just the way we roll around here. So I had to go and watch Arrival with Amy Adams and uh, Jeremy Renner. And then I watched it. I was uh, it's fresh in my mind. I just watched it last night. And so I'm all ready to go. I made some notes. Uh, Do you maybe want to kick us off and maybe just explain like I always ask you the same question and I think it's worth asking. That's why I ask it every time. Why did you pick this movie? Why is this movie special to you? Why did you want to nominate it for us to review? Absolutely. So I think I need to start by saying I can't really talk about this movie without going into some detail and it will spoil. There are some big uh, uh, mysteries or things in the movie that you get a payoff at the end for taking this journey and it's going to be hard to talk about the movie without spoiling it. So if you have not seen arrival, but you think it might be uh, something you are interested in seeing as much as I hate to say this, you should stop listening. Now go watch the movie and then come back and finish listening to the episode later. Uh, If you have never seen it and have no intention of seeing it, or you have already seen it, then you don't care about the spoilers and great. This podcast is for you. I hope so with that being said, uh, we're going to talk spoilers. So, uh, the movie Arrival uh, is uh, about aliens and, well, it's a movie about communication at its heart, but it's it's steeped in science fiction. So at the beginning of the movie, these 12 alien ships appear over Earth, over top of different countries, and the countries of the, the various uh, uh, the countries of the world where these ships are try to figure out what's going on. And it turns out that there are uh, these these alien beings in the ship – and it becomes an exercise of communication. How do we communicate with these aliens? Why are they here? What do they want? Do they pose a threat? Are they friendly? What's up? And so the story is uh, told or the, the character we follow through this story is Amy Adams' character. And she is a, uh, a linguist. She's a, a translator. She speaks many languages. But she it's clear that she also studies language. So it's not just a matter of I can speak 50 languages kind of thing. It's she understands the, the nuances of what – uh, what would be required for a language? Uh, again, communications more so than just what are the translated words. And um, 
the U.S. military brings her in because she's already done translation for them in the past. She's already got her top secret clearance. And like in the first five minutes, they basically come, they recruit her, they put her on a helicopter and they bring her to, to the site where this alien ship is over the U.S. And then from there, it's uh, it's this again, it's this story of of communicating. How do you communicate with somebody who has a completely different concept of language? Uh, it, it, as it turns out, the aliens in the movie don't have a verbal language that they ever decipher. They they are able to communicate through a, a written form of language, and it's uh, it, it's just this fascinating look at uh, at how communication can break down barriers. Um, there, Jeremy Renner's character says something at the beginning, and, and unfortunately, I, I didn't write it down, but it's something about in a conflict, uh, uh, words are the first weapons drawn or something to that effect. Um, and, and that becomes very uh, poignant through the course of this movie. The, the, the words that are said, the things that the aliens communicate that are potentially misinterpreted, and Amy Adams' character continues to, to advise the military and say, like, yes, this is the, the basic root word that we have established. This symbol means this thing. But English as a language, one word can mean many things. And in some cases, it can even mean many things at the same time, depending on context and intent. And so you have people who hear what they want to hear, people who assign meaning because it fits what they want it to fit. And then you have other more open-minded people who are just, you know, they're in it for the mystery to try and understand like, what is the, the absolute truth if, if such a thing exists. And as someone who has worked in communication, like I've been working in communications all my life. I studied communications at school. Uh, this, this movie, I, I really, really enjoyed it. It really spoke to me. And as I mentioned at the end of the last week's podcast, I saw this at the Toronto film festival at its premiere. And then when it was released in theaters about a month or two later, I brought my wife to see it. Now, my wife is a sign language interpreter. So, again, communications is a big part of her job. Uh, and this movie appealed to her even more than it appealed to me because it's about the language barrier, right? That's that's a big part of her job. And the fact that the language the aliens are, are using is a visual language really hit home with my wife because she's a sign language interpreter. And sign language, obviously, is a visual language as well. Um, so we watched it at the theater. We both enjoyed it. But, again, there's, there's this uh, sort of payoff at the end. And once you know what it is, you get that aha moment. You potentially you might want to go back and watch it again, sort of now that you know the spoilers. And, I, and the, the parallel I made with I think one of the movies we we reviewed last week or the week before was it's like the Sixth Sense, where once you know the ending, you're like, oh, then you go back and watch it again. The the, the beats are all there, the clues are all there, and it, once you know the the secret, you can see them. And if you've really been paying attention along the way, maybe you get to the answer before it's it's revealed. And I found with this movie, it was very much like that. I enjoyed it even more the second time once I sort of knew the payoff. And same thing with my wife. When we went, she's like, I got to see this movie again. And I'm like, do you want to come back and see it next weekend? She's like, no, no, I'm going to wait for video. But uh, so when it came out on uh, Blu-ray, we bought it. We watched it again. Uh, you know, I've seen it. I watched it this week. This is probably my fifth or sixth time. Um, not something I'm going to watch every day, but I just I really enjoy it. I, I think the performances are great. The direction is great. There's there's this great style to the way the movie is shot the score is fantastic um it's it's one of these ones where you can really tell the director isn't just trying to you know uh make an action movie he's not just doing a blow him up shoot him up aliens in outer space kind of movie like he's he's trying to make a point he's, he's got an important story that he's trying to convey and he uses the camera in in a way that really helps facilitate that 
you know the the positioning of things the the use of of shapes the use of color um all of these kinds of things to me speak of a uh of a director with a lot of talent and uh, i think that uh dennis villeneuve uh the director of this movie has gone on to do uh the new blade runner 2049 um and uh he's gonna be doing the new dune movie that's coming out soon uh he did sicario so i mean he's got he's got a little bit of a resume already going here and i think we're going to see some great things from him down the line mm-hmm. so in any case um that this is a large part of why i recommend it i think it's a great movie with great performances a great message it's got a little bit of a mystery throughout so you're not really sure what all what all is going on at all the time um and how amy adams didn't get nominated for an oscar is beyond me uh she got nominated for just about every other award that there was out there and this was the only one she didn't get or get didn't get nominated for uh, the movie got nominated for Best Picture in 2016. Uh, Dennis Villeneuve got nominated for Best Director. Uh, so the movie did get some accolades, but it didn't necessarily get all of them. And yeah, this in my mind, this is if we ever go back and do more Oscar snubs, because I know you guys did an Oscar snubs episode. Mm-hmm. This this is way at the top of my list. How she didn't get nomination or win it is just beyond me. She was fantastic in this thing. Oh, maybe we'll get into that a bit more uh, as we go on here. So right. I'm glad that you mentioned that your wife watched it and really related to it, because I'm always about relatability with movies, too. Uh, so because I watched the movie with my wife, and so we just watched it last night. So we sit down to, to watch it, and the movie opens up, and it obviously establishes right off the, the get-go that, that Amy Adams' character has a daughter, and then the daughter dies. Yes. And I think that the line that she says is uh, this: her death kind of defines her life much like the day that they came. And then you, like, what's that? And then you realize, oh, these aliens come. So then these aliens come down. And my wife is like, okay, wait a second. I thought once Yancey left the show, we weren't supposed to get any more Yancey movies. You know, what's going on? You know, so anyway, so this is my wife's take right from the get-go. And so, like I say, the ships come down. And then um, I noticed, I thought was interesting, was they have this press briefing on TV. And I, the reason I thought it was interesting was because a press briefing is actually rarer than a UFO these days. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I no made kidding. a note of that. Um, but uh, Jeremy Renner's character comes into it and they establish that she's into language and he's into science. And then the ship itself, when it's it's like hovering, it, it, gets, it hovers over the ground, right? It's not like touching the ground. And yes. it was kind of interesting because it's, it's kind of like bumpy, but it's kind of smooth. And my wife is like, it looks like a giant Easter egg. Or a giant piece of rice, you know? And then they go up the shaft in the middle of it, and there's, like, no gravity in there. And the whole thing kind of reminds me a bit of the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Absolutely. It's it's amazing, isn't it, how influential that film is? Like, even to this day, you know, like, 50 years later, like, it's incredible. Um, So the question that I have for you um, is when they go up the shaft to meet the aliens for the first time, to try and communicate with them. Why did they bring... I'm going to have a lot of questions for you in this, as I usually do with these movies, because, and again, just maybe because I'm dumb, um, I I went through a lot of this movie just not understanding what was happening. So I'm going to need your help. Why did they bring the bird in the cage with them? I didn't understand. Please help me. Uh, That's the literal canary in the coal mine. They didn't know if uh, the atmosphere would hurt them if it was poisonous, if it was dangerous, if long-term exposure. That's why they're all in those giant hazmat suits and they have to breathe through their respirators and such. And then, you know, not long into their, I think it was their second visit, Amy Adams' character takes the the protective gear off. She takes the risk. She feels that doing that will help break the communication barrier because it will help 
distinguish the differentiation between like they start with the word human and everybody in the room, all the people in the room were human, but they all looked very similar because they all had the exact same orange jumpsuits on. So from that point of view, the word makes sense. But then when she starts to say like man and woman, like, uh, uh, what are the Louise and Ian, she's trying to, to distinguish that we are individuals, yet they all look exactly the same. So, you know, she's like, well, I'm taking off this, this protective clothing so they can see that we are, yes, all human in this room, but I am different from that person, both, you know, because I am an individual and because I am a female and that is a male, like there are nuances. And I, I think that that was, uh, uh, sort of why they go there but to get back to your canary question it's literally the canary in the coal mine okay is this is this dangerous and if so uh how does it affect the canary and see if the bird dies okay so the aliens come out and they look like octopuses or i guess is, is it's octopi i guess either sure. way I, I don't care I, that's what i'm going to call them so mm, the, the the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. uh, so this then they make this weird sound and the sound that the octopus makes it kind of reminded me of Star Wars. And because I remember watching this documentary one time about how they gathered the sounds for Star Wars and yeah. they got the sounds for Chewbacca's voice by combining a lion and a walrus. And it just watching this reminded me of two things. Number one, how much the octopus sounded like those sounds from the Star Wars documentary. And number two, how much I wished I was watching a Star Wars documentary over this movie. Jeez. <laughs> It was just, I don't know, man, so many questions. I don't know, man, and it was so boring. Um, so I've been doing this podcast for three and a half years. I can't believe it's been that long. I know this is just the way it is. I don't think there's been one new movie that I've actually liked, you know, doing the podcast. It's not to say that I haven't seen, you know, any new movies that I've liked. There's been a few, actually. 2007, There Will Be Blood. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I thought it was phenomenal. We've mentioned on this podcast before, I think it was both from this year, 2016, same as this movie, La La Land and Moonlight came out that year, I think. I liked both of those. I liked both those movies. I thought they were good. And I thought Get Out from 2018 was awesome. So, that was really good, too. So, so there are some new movies that I like. We just haven't covered them on this podcast. But uh, when I should point out when I say new movies, I mean anything that's come out since 1989. Because that's like my threshold for new movies. I'm totally stuck in the past. But I mean, that's the point of this podcast too. So anyway, getting back to the octopus. So the octopus makes this like O out of smoke. It it almost looks like it's made underwater, like out of ink. Again, the reason yeah. why I'm calling them octopuses, um, octopi, whatever. Um, I just, I found the movie to be at this point even, I was like, it's really slow. And then, like you said, she takes off her suit because she says like, they need to see me. Right. So at this point, then the movie is basically stating that there's two big questions that need to be answered. Number one, are they scientists or are they tourists is what I believe the yeah. quote was. Yeah. Someone and, asked that. Yeah. And number two, why did they choose the spots that they did? Because they come down to like 12 places around the world. Yeah. And all I kept thinking was, who cares like about those questions? And I think that maybe that's why it reinforced for me why I felt it was boring. I, who cares about the answers to those questions? Well, the the location one they really they never answered, but they they didn't really dwell on it. It was it was brought up initially, and then it was never brought up again. Uh, the uh, the other one the, the what they called the capital B big question they wanted to ask the the aliens was what is your purpose? Why are you here? Which I think has legitimacy. It's again 
why are they here? Are, are Is this the first wave of an attack? Is this, are you just passing by? You know, it turns out they are there to um, present humanity with a gift that will advance and potentially help humanity because uh, years down the road, they are going to need humanity's help. We, because we learn later in the movie that the, the creatures don't experience linear time as we perceive it. And so they, they can see their own future, if you will. Um, and so that's what we find out. It's, it's a very, um, um, what do you call it? it? It's, it's like when you give someone a gift because you know, it's going to help you like, that's exactly what they're doing there. On the one hand, we, well, if they have hands on the one tentacle, tentacle, yeah. um, sure. They, uh, they are giving humanity this gift, uh, because it will help humanity. But at the, at the real, uh, underlying thing is at the same time, they know down the road, it'll help them. So, uh, whether or not that colors your opinion on whether or not this gift is given freely and with with real uh, sincerity, I think is is inconsequential. It's it's uh, you know we learn that they are, I guess for all intents and purposes, scientists if they have this technology mm-hmm. that they can bestow upon humanity. Yeah, I guess my my life at this point is like this movie is so dumb. Um, so there was the whole offer weapon thing, and of course China takes this as aggression, right? And then they bring this C4 into there and my wife turns to me and she goes, oh, are they going to blow the, blow it up? And then my, my quote to her was, maybe they'll just blow up Amy Adams and Jeremy, Jeremy Renner and this stupid movie will be over. But unfortunately, the octopus pushes them away to safety. Yes. And my wife was like, damn, it didn't make the movie end. Um, but anyway, so the movie continues and there was a flashback. And this is where the daughter says, what is it? You know, she's asking the question, what is it called when both sides win? Yeah. And Amy Adams is like, well, that's a win-win. Game. Yeah, and then yeah. and the daughter's like, no, I need like a more science-y answer than that. And Amy Adams says, well, if you want science, go see your dad. And that's when I turned to my wife and said, well, Jeremy Renner's the dad because they established him as a science guy earlier. And yeah, like you said, they had said it was a non-zero-sum game, right? Is yeah. the answer to that. But um, anyway, so they send the big pod whatever it is, sends this little pod to to pick up Amy Adams. And so she goes in there and she's in this place that it almost looks like she's underwater. And then it's all smoky. It kind of looks like a bar in the 80s with all the smoke around her. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. And then she's like, where's Abbott? Because they gave him Abbott and Costello. Then were the names, right? Of the octopuses. And the octopus says, well, Abbott is death process. Yeah, And then all of a sudden she's having a conversation with the octopus and then there's the, these subtitles under the smoke rings. And I'm like, huh? What? Because they've established she can understand what those circles mean. She's she's picked up on the language enough to not need the computer. But we as the audience need to know what she knows for this scene to make sense. OK, so then she says to, to them, I just realized why. Somebody left me. I'm assuming it's her daughter. I can't, I didn't quite catch the line. Her husband. Or her husband. And I'm like, huh, what's going on? And then she finds out that time is like non-linear to them. And again, I'm like, huh, what is going on? And then the weapon is a gift. It's the gift of language. And I'm like, like I'm just like, who the hell wrote this? And, and, and what I wanted to know at this point was, who wrote this and what were they smoking? Because... Maybe they were smoking the octopus smoke rings. I don't know. But I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch these shows from Sid and Marty Croft. 
And there was like Sigmund and the Sea Monster and H.R. Puff and stuff and Land of the Lost. God, I loved it. Land of the Lost. And people used to think that Sid and Marty Croft were smoking some pretty serious stuff when they made those shows. And looking back on those shows as an adult, I'd have to say that's probably exactly what was going on. There was probably like some serious drug smoking going on in the Sid and Marty Croft production room. But holy hell, this movie is more trippy than anything Sid and Marty Croft ever dreamt up. And I mean, I think Sid and Marty Croft would be like, what the hell are you guys smoking in this thing? Like, See, you know, I, I got to disagree with everything you just said, except for the stuff about the HR Puffet stuff. Yeah, they were definitely doing something. Oh, definitely then. they were. Like, so one of the things that I I like, that I do like so much about the science fiction and the fantasy genres is they're, they're metaphoric. Like you, you can tell a story using the sci-fi or fantasy metaphor to get your point across in a way that um, may send the message home to an audience that would not otherwise be receptive to it. And especially with science fiction, uh, with things like aliens, you can, you can, uh, you know, tell your story, present your message and, and drape it in aliens. And suddenly you've got a whole sci-fi audience that is now listening to whatever it is you're trying to say, uh, because they're there for the aliens. Um, and so for me, like I, I found this movie fascinating. The, the whole idea that they set up the red herring at the beginning that she has had a child and this child has died. And, and they set that up deliberately so that you believe that. And then through the course of the movie, you eventually learn that she um, learns to perceive time in a nonlinear way, just like these aliens by the end of the movie. And so what she's experienced, what we believe she's experiencing as memories from her past are actually uh, visions or memories of what's yet to come in her future. And you know, by the the scene you're talking about where she goes back up to the ship, she I think that's when she's starting to finally realize that she's not um, uh, like, well, she uh, the character obviously knows these aren't memories because the character has never lived through these things. But I think that's the point where we as the audience are really being told very heavy handedly that, you know, this is not a memory from her past. And we start to see more and more events in her future that she learns details that she can then use in her past and it's not time travel in the traditional sense of we jump at the delorean we go to the future and we stop biff and we come back it's it's this idea of the nonlinear time and i'm gonna harken back to watchmen because this is a huge huge component of the watchmen storyline with um the dr manhattan character in both the 1985 comic books and on the new tv show and even in the movie which is obviously based on the comic books his character is constantly talking about how he does not experience linear time and i think that show also does a very very good job of you know sort of depicting this in a way that we can hopefully understand uh and still make sense of it here's the thing for me like i like science fiction films too you know i mean like we we did an episode on science fiction films you know on this podcast like, I, I enjoy them too, but the thing that, that that's getting me is is the movies that you and Yancey have made me watch on this uh, podcast, it, it seems like I don't understand what the connection is with having to use aliens to somehow drive the story about lost family members. Like, I don't know what it is. In this movie, Interstellar, Contact, I've had to watch all these movies for this podcast, and it seems like there's a similar thread through them all that seeing aliens and contacting aliens has to do with trying to 
get in touch with dead relatives. I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't I'm so missing that's, something. I think you're missing that that's not what this is this is trying to get at. This one is more once she can experience nonlinear time, she will she understands that in her future she she can and does have a daughter, even though she knows the daughter will have a short life and will die through this this rare illness and that um, she, Amy Adams, will have to uh, live through the pain and sorrow of losing a daughter. And I think the the point they're trying to make with this is – and she even says this sort of towards the end of the movie. If you know your future, do you make changes to try to affect that future? You know, I guess this even comes back to the, the conversation of fate and destiny versus free choice and free will. But the, the, the stuff, cause I, I read a little bit about this afterwards and it was saying like, uh, in the story on which this is based, it, it, it happens in a slight different way. The daughter actually lives a little bit longer and dies in a rock climbing accident. And it obviously a much darker version, but in that one, it really emphasizes that even though the mother knew she was going to die in this rock climbing accident, something totally avoidable, she could have just stopped her from potentially taking that kind of a trip she let it happen because of of the idea that certain events are going to unfold in a certain way. And in this movie, they don't sort of, you know, bang it over your head quite that that deliberately. But they I think that I thought they did a good job of, of sort of showing that she chose to have this daughter knowing the the horrific outcome. And I think it's that balance of you're going to experience the highest of highs of of having a child and, and seeing them grow and 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 loving and nurturing and teaching them and all of that great stuff. But she was still going to experience this pain. And so she, she had that choice to make and she made it. And then she even explains to the daughter near the end of the movie that the dad left because obviously she opened up to him and said at some point in the child's life, you know, she's not going to live all these for very long because she's going to get this illness. And, and obviously the scene we don't see wasn't a confrontation where the dad probably said like, well, if you could see that this was the outcome, why would we have this child? And that's that's the million dollar question, right? It's it's the uh, taking it away and and trying to analyze it yourself, and you know, asking yourself if you were in that situation, what would you do? And Chris, you're a parent. Let me ask you, like, is this the kind of if if you could see your own future and say, as a parent, you you saw this kind of uh, tragedy, would that have changed your decision to be a parent? No, probably not. I guess, but. And uh, so I don't I, know. I, I guess my, what it's trying to say. Yeah, I guess my thing is, I guess I, I guess I was having trouble getting that out of this movie. Um, like I mentioned, we we've done uh, science fiction movies on this podcast before. If you go back to watch or listen to episode 23, we we break down our top five science fiction films. But I will say this science fiction films have changed, man. They have changed. Like I would think of like science fiction movie being something like The Last Starfighter, you know, and now it's like science fiction movies are all these trippy, weird stuff. Like I said, I I used to think Sid and Marty Croft were the epitome of drug-laced entertainment until I started watching yours and Yancey's movies on this podcast. They're just trippy and weird. I don't know. Just to get back to the movie for a minute, because she, then Amy Adams' char- uh, character, then she, she calls the general of the Chinese army. Because as I mentioned earlier, the Chinese are like aggressive toward the aliens, right? And they want to like fight them and they declare war on them. I think at one point. And so she calls the general of the army in China and she she tells him that, I think she's, she tells him his wife's dying words. 
Yes. And this convinces him to stop the attack on the octopuses. And again, I'm just like, what is going on? Like, I don't know. I the, the whole thing is trippy and weird. I think if if the point was that they just wanted to bring the whole world closer together, if that was the freaking point, then why not just save us two hours of boring hell and just buy the world a Coke? That would bring the world together. Remember that? I'd like to buy oh, yeah. the world a Coke and keep it company. I think just do that. Then a quote that she says at the end, I guess, to try to bring it all together is the daughter's story begins the day that they departed. And again, I, I don't, the movie doesn't make any sense to me. Like you mentioned though, I think Amy Adams character does ask a very integral question at the end of the film, because she says, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you do anything differently? And honestly, I reflected on that. And the answer for me is yes. And the thing that I would do differently is I would not watch this movie. You're terrible. I know. <laughs> Just, I am who I am. What can I say? And my wife then turns to me at the end and she's like, we are not watching any more Derek or Yancey movies. Just make up stuff to say on the podcast about the movie. That way we don't have to watch it. So it would seem from now on that I'm going to have to watch these movies alone. And... I'll tell you what, if I have to start watching these movies alone, I'm going to have to start smoking whatever those octopuses were smoking because that's the only way I'm going to make it through. So I was just blown away by this movie in terms of I just didn't get it. It was, I don't know, I just trippy, weird. I, I'm shocked that you, you know, put this out there, but that's kind of what this podcast is. You putting out these high concept movies and me wanting to watch kids go to like summer camp in a movie and meatballs, you know? Wow. That's the way it is. So so, Chris, there's a scene in the very first Toy Story movie, okay. about 10 minutes in, mm -hmm. where uh, Mr. Potato Head uh, puts the pieces in the wrong places, and then he turns and he says, look at me, I'm Picasso! And then Ham walks by and goes, uh, I don't get it. And he's like, you uncultured swine! That's exactly what I think. When <laughs> you say what you just said, I was like, this is Picasso! And you're like, I don't get it. I'm just an uncultured swine. You are the uncultured swine in this scenario. <laughs> that's me. I like old movies from the 80s and the 70s, and that's it. I, it just feels like the movie was just trying to be too much or trying to tell a, a lesson. Or, I don't know. I just It just missed the mark. I don't know. It's just me. I don't know. I, I think it's great. I, I watched it this week, and I forgot how much I enjoyed it. And I, I'm going to make a note to watch it again in a few months because, uh, again, I think it's one of those ones that if you did enjoy it, uh, watching it again, you'll enjoy it even more because once you know the whole thing of the nonlinear time, the what you believe are memories being presented, knowing that those are from the future, you can see how how those scenes interact with with what we'll call present time, and uh, you 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 look at it a little differently. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take a microphone and I will hide it in my house, and I will record the exact moment when I ask my wife if I can watch this again for another time. Hey, honey, can we watch this movie again? And just record what she says. And I'll just put it on the podcast. <laughs> she won't kill me. I'll, I'll get a divorce, I'm telling you right now. On that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? All right, Caveman. So this uh, movie had uh, a lot going on in it. There was octopuses, as I mentioned. and But mostly it was like about aliens, right? And communication. And, you know, actually, just to go back for a second, I'm a big communication guy, too. I'm a podcaster. I'm a professor. I like communication. So I thought I would like, you know, maybe like this movie better than I did, but I didn't. But uh, anyway, I'm going to focus on the alien 
aspect of this movie for our trivia tonight, okay? So okay. what I'm going to do is uh, we're going to focus on some movies that have aliens in them, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the alien and you name the movie that the alien comes from, okay? You can okay. do this because you like science fiction films, obviously. You know? I, I do, but a lot of times the names of the aliens are not a part of the dialogue. It's like you learn about them you watch the credits and you're like, oh, that's what that thing was called. But anyway, okay. I'm hoping these are going to be a lot easier than I'm anticipating. They're going to be, uh, so I'm going to go fire so, away. Let's... I'm going to go so easy on you. You're going to get them. All. I got like 12 of them. You're going to nail a ball. I'm sure. All right. Okay? All right. So the Navi race, what movie featured the Navis? Uh, that was Avatar. You are correct. Good for you. Okay. Now it was a derogatory term that was used in this movie, but prawns. Which movie prawns. did? I... Yeah, as soon as you said derogatory, I'm like, he's going to ask me about the prawns. That's from uh, District 9. Very good. See, see, you've got this. Okay. In this one, there were three aliens, and they were called Beldar, Primat, and Connie. What was the movie? Were, were they from France? Yes. Uh, they are the uh, the Coneheads. See, okay. This one, uh, this one I, I put in because I think you can get this one. Paul Atreides. We already mentioned this one. This is Dune. Yes, very good. Okay, Major. What movie featured the alien Major? Uh, oh, that was uh, um, Spaceballs. Yay! Mel Brooks. <laughs> very good. I'm, I'm like picturing the scene. I'm like, what the hell is that movie called? Yeah, we've talked about that movie here on the podcast before. Okay, uh, another one that has three aliens in it. Okay, there's multiple aliens, but these are three characters I'm going to mention to you. Clytus, Princess Aura, and Prince Baron. I have no idea. Oh, it's Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Mm. Oh, I like that movie. Okay. I, I don't think I ever saw it. Here's one that you might get. You might not. It's a bit of a trippy one, too. This ha featured an alien race called the Vogons. The Vogons. Oh, that does sound familiar. It's a trippy movie that I thought you would be right up your alley if you like. Oh, movie. is that is that the new one? The uh, the oh no, that was uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That is correct. Very good. Okay, Riff Raff and Magenta were aliens in what film? No idea. Oh come on, it's a Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky didn't, Horror Picture Didn't show. realize they were aliens. Oh, you gotta, you gotta stay right. Got that. You gotta stay right till the end of the film and you realize that they're aliens. Okay, here's an easy one. Audrey 2. Audrey 2 is an alien in what movie? Oh, uh, that's the plant. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. That is correct. That's the 1986 version. Because the, the 1960 film, it, it was actually called Audrey Jr. Okay. All right, here's one. Centauri. Centauri was an alien in what film? Oh, that sounds familiar, but Centauri. I don't know. It was The Last Starfighter. I mentioned oh, that movie already. You mentioned oh, that already? Yeah, I like that movie a lot. And, and Lou Gossett Jr. is in The Watchmen, so he's mm. been top of mind lately. Oh, so there you go. And Clatu. Uh, what movie featured Clatu? Uh, was that the name of the alien in The Day the Earth Stood Still? It was from 1951. I think they remade it in like the they 2000s. But like With Will Smith, it was terrible. And this last one I think you should get because you know all this kind of stuff. 
Chewbacca. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's the Chewbacca defense. If Chewbacca is from Endor, you must acquit. Okay. This this one is Yaucha. Yaucha was in what film? Uh, Break into Electric Boogaloo. Oh, that's a great answer. Oh, I love it. Unfortunately, it's not correct. It's from Predator. Predator was called Yaucha. That was its name? No, I, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, go figure. Well, I mean, you got most of them. So, I mean, I kind of figured. We had some fun with it. Uh, so, next time out, my movie. So, I got to think about this one. I'm going to go back to 1985 with one of my favorite actors of all time. Back to the future. Back to the future. Back to the future. Back to the future. No, no, we already did. We I think we did that one already. I think we did that Oh, one. yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that we did. Okay. If, if not, we will do Back to the Future at some point in the future. No, I think you I, and Yancey, I think you had Yancey watch it. I'll, I'll check the archives and make sure. But we are going to go back to 1985. And one of my favorite actors of all time is Harrison Ford. And I know you like Harrison Ford as well. And so he was in a film in 1985 called Witness. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but it was a great film. And it was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards. It features Harrison Ford. Kelly McGillis, Lucas Haas. There's even Danny Glover is in it. And, and there's even like a blink and you'll miss him, Viggo Mortensen in the movie. But the movie is, I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's not what you would expect from Harrison Ford. And that's why I want you to go back and watch it. And we'll come back and review it. For anybody out there that's seen it, they probably know it's, you know, they either, you know, I'm sure that they like it or they maybe have never heard of it. Maybe it's a chance for them to go back and watch it. So are you up for the challenge to go back and watch Witness from 1985, my friend? Yeah, I, uh, I've seen it once. I think I've told you this before. When I used to work at Blockbuster Video, we had a gazillion free movie rentals every week. So you, you'd you struggle to find something you hadn't seen before. We used to pick a, pick a performer and then run through their entire library of, oh, nice. of, of movies. And when I was doing the Harrison Ford marathon, that's when I watched Witness. I'd never seen it. They were hitting a bunch around there. He had like Frantic and Witness and The Accused. And I hadn't seen any of them. They were all sort of just okay. And then I remember seeing Witness for the first and only time. And at the time thinking, this is pretty good. And I knew he was nominated for an Oscar for it. So I thought, eh, let's take a look. But I, I really don't remember anything about it. It's the it's the Amish one, right? Yes. It takes place in Amish country part of it. That is uh, correct. That's, that's like all I remember. So it'll be like watching it for the first time mm-hmm. again. Yeah, so I think it should be interesting to, to take a look at this movie, you know, this many years later. Uh, but we will come back next episode and we will take a look at Witness. We will review it. If you want to reach out to Derek, you can find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. And again, popcosierworld.com is our website. You can email us. All of our contact information is there. And this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 